0: Welcome to Broadway's Backbone with Brad Bradley, a podcast dedicated to the men and women of the ensemble. The chorus of dancers, singers, and actors that are the foundation of every Broadway musical. These often unsung gypsies are the hardest working people on the boards and are, well, Broadway's backbone. Welcome to episode 15. Our special guest is Jeremy Davis. Welcome, Jeremy Davis, to Broadway's Backbone. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Uh, Well, I'm going to start off um, by uh, listing your credits. Okay. Uh, So you have the first national tour of Thoroughly Modern Millie, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, South Pacific, 9 to 5, Billy Elliot, People in the Picture, Ghost, Annie, Last Ship, and now currently you are in In Your Arms, uh, out of town in San Diego. That's right, at the Old Globe. Great. Uh, Did I miss anything?
1: No I mean no that's plenty. Well, that, no, that's <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, that is plenty. No I'm really excited because uh, I personally am a huge fan of yours. Thank you. Um, I know that sounds, <laughs> that's sounds weird. silly. So weird. I know it is weird but at, like but this is an example of why I'm a, a huge fan of yours. Like we've actually auditioned against each other and we've worked together um, and you've gotten parts over me or shows over me. and this is the thing that I love about you that doesn't happen very often. Is that I won't get a show and then I'll like ask around and they'll be like who got it and I'll say Jeremy Davis or they'll say Jeremy uh-huh. Davis and it's so frustrating because all I can think of is he's so talented he's <laughs> so nice he's so deserving and no and it's easier when, when someone gets something and you're like I hate them and they're terrible, and you know what I mean. Oh, they're sleeping with the director. But it's harder to when someone gets something to actually be happy for them. Yeah. And so, like, when it's you, I'm like, I'm happy for you. When it's someone else, I like make up some story about them and how they like know the <laughs> casting director. No, but no, but so it's it's a it's a good thing, you know. That, that's um, good.
1: I'm glad. I'm a fan of yours too, Brad. Well, thank. I you. always enjoy seeing you working with you, particularly. Well, thanks. Yeah. Well, uh, where did you get started, and uh, where are you from? I'm from Grand Forks, North Dakota. Um, which is a town almost in the exact geographical center of North America. Um, it's a small sort of little town. There are about 100,000 people in it. Uh, it's a university town. Um, and my parents worked at the university there. I, uh, I got started... This is actually a fun story. I like telling it. Um, I was very young. I was like three years old. And I... Uh, I loved the ballet. My mother is also very artistic. She loves the ballet, and uh, whenever there was a ballet on PBS, she would throw a VHS in the in the machine and record it. So she had this big collection of ballets, of the Giselle and Swan Lake and Midsummer and like all the classic ballets. And I loved them. I watched at least one a day, and I couldn't get enough of them. And I don't remember this part, but my mom uh, tells me that one day she walked into the living room and found me jumping around, and she said, what are you doing? And I said, mommy, I'm Bishnikov. <laughs> and, uh, and so she she said, well, do you, would you like to go to ballet class and learn how to do it? And I said, yes. So she enrolled me in Nancy Paisley's ballet school at three years old, and I was the only boy, obviously. <clears throat> uh, and it was like, you know, it was a Dolly Dinkle school. You, you do daycare slash ballet training a little bit. (laughs) Um, And when I got older, I started uh, studying at a a sort of semi-professional company called the North Dakota Ballet Company, and um, I mean, I was never super serious about it, but I always went once or twice a week, and uh, that was just my thing. When I got into high school, I started making friends with the kids in choir and the theater kids, and started getting involved in musical theater, and then I saw... Singing in the rain, which was like the, the, mm. the fork in the road, because once I saw that, and I saw like this new way of, moving, and you could communicate story with this kind of movement, and I was just I really loved it, and from that point on, I didn't really care about Barishnikov anymore. It was all Gene Kelly all the time, as far as I was concerned.
0: Well, no, those I mean, but those were two great role models. Yeah. So that's how that's sort of how it all started for me. So how was it being the only boy often in dance class?
1: um you know I started so young that I don't really remember it ever being a thing um, I mean I remember what I remember is when I when I started growing up and becoming aware of girls mm. in in a way that wasn't that was less innocent uh, that I remember I remember being there and, and thinking that seeing these girls in a new light and, and I remember that being weird and starting to try to understand that kind of thing. But I never, I I never felt any negativity actually. Um, I never felt uh, no one ever made fun of me. Um, Again, I think because I started so young. Right. I I started so young and I started making friends when, when I was already, it was a part of what I did and I think we were all just so young that we didn't know that that was something they could make fun of me about. I do remember once going into junior high <clears throat> when you know I was meeting a lot of new kids, new people from other school districts and things like that, and one of the first days at my new junior high, I was there with a bunch of people, some that I'd known from elementary school and some from that were new to me, and they were talking about going doing something after school, and I said, no, I can't, I have ballet, and one of the new guys, said you take ballet and I remember like looking back on it I remember his attitude and his tone and he was trying to make fun of me but I still didn't really know that it was something to be made fun of about and and I I just said yeah without even thinking I, I had no idea what was really going on in his mind at, at that time I was just sort of answering his question but looking back on it I think I think because I was not embarrassed by it and why I had no reason to be, Right. I answered it and I said, yeah, and he just went, oh, okay, and he just let it, <laughs> he, he realized that it wasn't something right. uh, What's to meant? make fun of someone about. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so that's sort of been what it's, that was the beginning of it for me. Did that's you go to tell. college and continue? Uh, I went to college at the University of Michigan. I have a BFA in musical theater performance. Oh, all right. So uh, my the, near the end of high school, I started thinking, I want to go pro. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, and I thought, how can I do this? And I knew uh, that I really wanted to go to college. And part of that was my own thing, but it was also that I knew it was the only way I could get my dad to get on board with me. Um, <clears throat> so I started looking around. I applied to a bunch of different places I auditioned at Michigan and Webster and um, I got in and I, uh, I I ended up loving my four years there it was a big big time for me I, I learned a lot of things that I that I still use today and <clears throat> I grew as an artist I grew into an artist which is a weird thing to say no it's not at all <clears throat> yeah. so it was a full musical theater program was there an emphasis on dance or that's just no it's just a musical theater program in fact um, the dance dance wasn't really a big part of their program until maybe my sophomore year or junior year when uh, they got a new dance professor come in. Her name is Linda Goodrich, and she's still there actually. And she's um, <clears throat> she's the te- the teacher that I look to as as my mentor, like someone who who changed the way I thought about things and changed the way I thought about communicating story. Um, because she's much more than a dance teacher. She's uh, she directs a lot of their shows now, and she's She's great, she's great. Because
0: right. one of my favorite things about you as a performer, especially as a dancer, is that you are masculine and graceful at the same time. Thank you. And that's, that you don't get that combination very rare. Um, that's a rare combination, because mm-hmm. so often people look as graceful as, um, as feminine. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love about the way you perform. And I don't know if, it's a, if that came naturally to you
1: or? I don't know what that is. I, I recognize that in myself. Uh, And I actually recognize it as as something that has helped my career. I think I get a lot of my jobs because I have a a masculine way of looking graceful. Right. Um, And I think, I've thought about it. I don't know. I don't know. It's not something I've consciously tried to do. But I wonder if maybe the fact that I started so young, that, that movement sort of became a language of communication for me. And it, it uh, I didn't, I didn't really use the mirror very much. I guess now that I think about it, I never really looked at myself in the mirror to like get a line right or, or do anything like that. And so I wonder if, if that's part of it. I don't know. Right. Well, it's a, I mean, it's a great. I mean, it is a great quality, and it's so. It's and nice. it's a joy.
0: And it's a joy to watch. <clears throat> um, Thank you. So, what brought you to New York and getting your Equity card in the beginning of that?
1: Uh, I got my card in 1998 at Pittsburgh Civic Light Opera. I was my, that was the summer after my junior year of college. And a bunch of people were going to Pittsburgh to audition for it. It was a summer stock job that a lot of people wanted to get at that time, and, and I did too. So I went and auditioned, and, uh, and I got it, and that's how I got my card. Um, and, uh, and after I graduated, uh, I came right to New York I, uh, and started auditioning. That's that's how it all happened,
0: uh, and so your first big credit
1: was the first national of of Millie. Of Millie, that was my first big. That was my first national tour. That was the first time I'd made any serious kind of money, um, and yeah, yeah. And did you like touring? I mean, like I do. I I still like touring. Uh, I like traveling. I like s- different cities. I love hotel life. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's tour is great. Um, yeah I I like tour I it's fine I find it's much more fun when you're single (laughs) Uh, I've toured when I was dating someone and when I was single before and now my wife now that I'm married she's toured now you know now that we've been married without me and that's not so fun it's uh, it's always you're always trying to find the next time you can see each other Um, but when I was single on tour That was the best oh absolutely you're free and easy and you feel like you're on vacation all the time nice well now that we're on the subject being
0: married and in this business is can be very difficult because I know you and your wife you're in San Diego now or Mm -hmm. she goes to Sacramento it's a huge part of dealing with negotiating and now I guess you have Skype and stuff like that but that is it a pro or con to have someone else in the business
1: well I would say it's a pro because I love my wife dearly and I can't imagine my life without her right Um, so so definitely it's no I mean in
0: the business like that because she Mm -hmm. at least
1: understands what you're doing yeah yeah I mean it is a struggle when you have to be away from each other for a while uh, and we've dealt with that kind of thing and uh, it's it's not the best thing it's not my favorite thing in the world yeah it's hard but it's but it's worth it to to have to have that person in my life oh absolutely and uh, and we've actually been very lucky this year in that we've spent most of the year together. Even when one of us has been out of town, we're able to be together. Like I've been here for almost two and a half months, I guess, and she spent a good month of that with me. And uh, now she's out, she's working in DC, and then when I'm done on Monday, I'll go, basically I'm just gonna live in DC with her unless I have to come back to New York for anything. Oh, that's great. <clears throat> so we've been lucky this year in, in that aspect. Yeah, because I think that's something that
0: people not in show business don't realize that when sometimes they are like, wait, you have to be six months away from your husband or something. And it's just like,
1: yeah. I guess <laughs> that is different. Not, I mean, since I don't, I don't have anything to compare it to, but yeah, that seems, I guess they would think that's a, a strange thing. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Or some, I have one friend that says that that's why his marriage uh, is maintained
0: so well because he's like, I tour a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I don't think that that's good. I love you and your wife so, but they've been together for like 25 years. Yeah. Um, so I think one of the another thing that's besides your on-stage talent is you're really easy to get along with. Um, and sometimes I think backstage drama and dressing rooms and things like that are a huge part of this business that um, people think is fun and is exciting because um, it's drama-filled. But also it's people you work with every day. And, and I know your Broadway debut uh, was Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Yes. So there was a lot of heavy hitters, a lot of egos, and you were a swing. How do you negotiate just your demeanor of having to deal with all of that in that type of position?
1: Well, I I have to say that in that show in particular, they they were a bunch of big personalities, but there wasn't a huge amount of drama backstage, I felt. I mean, I guess there was a little bit, but um, but I felt that it was, maybe it's just that I sort of took myself out of it a little bit. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I just, I, I guess I, I, don't know, I don't know, I guess I don't know how to answer that. I, yeah, well, no, because I think
0: you, just your demeanor is so, I feel like you could get along with, you know I mean, uh, Baryshnikov and a used car salesman, like, <laughs> which is a great quality of this business, because I think that that, being good to work with is just as important as being yeah. talented.
1: Yeah. And what was your experience of being a swing? Um, I kind of like swinging. Um. It's uh, it's not easy, but there's I like the aspect of being able to see the show a lot. Um, I like being in it, but also being outside of it, and um, and I like I like performing different parts of it. I like seeing the show in different perspectives. Um, so especially with Scoundrels, for that show in particular, I I loved doing it. I loved that my job was to go to work every night and watch this amazing show that I, th- I still think is a brilliant piece of artwork, and with these amazing people in it, and every once in a while I'd get to go up on stage and do it with them. Um, I mean, I had the best time. I might still be doing it if it was still running. Really? <laughs> yeah. I, I loved it. Um, and I've swung a couple times since then, and I like it. Um, it's rough. It's rough for the first couple of months when you're learning the show and you're you're under a lot of stress. Um, but then once you know it, it sort of starts to get fun. Unless there are those long droughts where you're not on. Mm. Those are kind of rough. If you're if you're not on for a couple of weeks and it keeps on dragging out, then then you start to get a little crazy. I find. But and and, and but it's it's fun. I like swinging. That's great. I, um, was this your first time working with Jerry Mitchell? Yes. Yes. Oh, and he said the nicest thing to me. Um, we were... It was early in rehearsal, and I was just sitting there watching. You know, we'd learned some of the steps and everything, and uh, and I was sitting there watching them do a number, and I th- think we were about to go on break or something. And so he came by, and he, he looked down at me. He was like, hey, Jeremy, how are you doing? And I was like, good. Uh, and uh, he said, uh, I remember... Something, something, something or other at this audition that you did for me. I was like, Oh yeah. He's like, Yeah, you're good, and walked away. <laughs> and then the stage manager was like, All right, everybody, ten minutes. And I went into the bathroom and hyperventilated. And <laughs> I just felt very excited because <laughs> um, I didn't know. I mean, I'm I'm swing I'm swinging the show. I'm this young kid. I don't know, yeah. you know if he knows who I am, if he knows my name or whatever. You know. And how did and you, did you feel making your Broadway debut the first time you? Exhilarated. Went on? I was exhilarated, Brad. It was just crazy. I I went on and and I remember getting getting to the curtain call. And and I I went out there and I looked out at this audience, this Broadway audience. And I saw them all. And I was sort of teleported back in in my life to time when I was younger in my bedroom and I was sort of fantasizing about being on Broadway I was having a daydream about it and that daydream was was me standing on a stage staring out and seeing a Broadway audience during curtain call and then I came back to the present and realized that I had that a a childhood dream had just come true for me and it was and I cried I mean I cried It was so beautiful and I felt so (sighs) fulfilled and blessed. Um, It was a beautiful, glorious experience. It was amazing. (laughs) Wow. That's a wonderful story. It makes me want to
0: cry. Yeah. So your next show was South Pacific. Yes. And to talk about Lincoln Center and a huge orchestra and I had no interest whatsoever to go see the show. And I, I waited until the end, and people were like, you have to go, Brad. And I kicked myself for not seeing it. Yeah. How was that experience just to be part of something that's reimagined
1: yet so classic? I had the same kind of experience, actually. Um, <clears throat> I auditioned for it because, obviously, I want the job. I want the Lincoln Center job. And, uh, and I got it. And I remember I got it, and I thought I had done South Pacific at a regional theater, and it was uh, crappy. Production <laughs> and uh, I did not have a good time, and I just thought the show was crappy. And so I got the job, and I thought, well, this is great. I'm working at Lincoln Center. It's, it's an awesome Broadway show. I'm get get to work with Bartlett Sher and Christopher Catelli, and I'm very excited about that. But eh, South Pacific is crap show. I'm, I'm, I've done it before. Whatever. And once we started rehearsal, I saw how wrong that that was. I saw that the show is a brilliant piece, and that really the thing I'd done before was just mismanagement of, of this beautiful piece mm-hmm. and um, it was beautiful uh, Bart is is the real deal he is so uh, transparent about what he is thinking and where where he's feeling the show is going he is very interested in the the work being being, Communicated truthfully, he is. Uh, he's interested in what the what the piece meant at the time that it was written mm. to that to that population, and he's also interested about what it means now to this population, and how those two things connect. Uh, and he is. He loves beauty, and it's just great. Like there was a day. There was a day, this is late in the rehearsal process, and every day we'd come in at 10 o'clock and we'd sit down and we'd talk about where we are in the show and what we're trying to go and where where we're going with it, the whole cast. And this time he came in and he was like, so, okay, I was thinking last night and I think that we've been going down sort of a, a wrong path a little bit. We've been playing the romance of this story and I think that we have to bring back the actual physical action of what's happening in the story, meaning the military objective. Because in the show, for anybody who doesn't know it, there's this. The show is mainly about this romance between these two people, but it happens in the middle of World War Two, World and uh, it centers around this military operation that a marine a marine has an idea to go and. Uh, Camp on an island where he can um, where he can intercept communications, radio communications from the enemy, and relay them back. And that ends up that is what Bart was talking about. He was like, we have to center, we have to instead of centering this around the romance, we have to center it around the military operation. Mm. Why people are going there? Why why all this stuff is happening? And that it that's usually the backdrop to the romance, but. Because he came in and said, like maybe three or four weeks into rehearsal process, said we have to start concentrating on this. We have to make the military operation the focus and let that birth the romance. Let the romance come from that. And uh, and that's I am bel- absolutely certain that that's one of the reasons the show was so successful because we were looking at it that way.
0: Well, just the like acting point of view, the stakes were were higher. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's yeah. that's brilliant. I mean, and it came across on stage. Yeah. And um, then you left it
1: right after it won. Yeah, the I left it right after <laughs> it won. But I had to. Andy Blankenbuehler hired me to do 9 to 5, and I can't say no to him. No, and um, <laughs> so 9 to
0: 5 is your... Uh, it was an out town tryout, and you went to L.A. at the Omicron. Yeah. But it wasn't your first time working with Andy?
1: No. Andy choreographed Bells Are Ringing at Pittsburgh when I got my equity card in 1998. Uh. I think it, he had just started choreographing, I think, at that point. And uh, that's when I met him, and I instantly connected with him. Um, I he's a I mean, he's a much better dancer than I am, but we both, I think, have similar tone to our dance. Um and he's 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 a communicator he's a physical communicator he's always trying to tell a story with his movement which i definitely connect with
0: and what's an out of town experience for say 9 to 5 mm-hmm. uh, and right now there's always it's as much as you want to be in the present moment sometimes you're like what's the future of the show what's this and that mm-hmm. how was it how is uh, 9 to 5 as a experience for you of like are we we going to Broadway? Well we
1: we knew we were going to Broadway. Oh you did? It was during our rehearsals for our out-of-town tryout we had a press conference one day and they announced our opening date at the marquee and so we knew we were coming. Mm. Um, I mean we didn't all necessarily know we were going to be asked to come individually because that wasn't part of our deals but I think I think almost everybody was pretty confident that they were going to be going with the show. Right. so we didn't really have that kind of feel we knew we were coming um, but the show was a really tough rehearsal process um, there was a lot of stuff going on, the dancing was very there was a lot of dancing and it was tough um, it was the most physical show I think I've ever done and uh, and we were, we were trying to create something from nothing mm. so we would spend all day, seven hours on one number and work on it and work on it and work on it and and then by the end of the day, we'd sort of run through it a few times, and then the next, excuse me, the next morning, we'd come in and we'd do the same thing again, with the same number. We'd just throw out a lot of the stuff we did the mm. day before and try something new. And that kind of thing happened, that continued to happen up through tech and through previews and everything in Los Angeles. Um, so that was, that was the hard part of that show. It was, uh, it was just a big job. It was a lot of work.
0: But your your style when it comes to Andy's choreography, there is something about the two of you that, that just mesh. I mean, you look so good doing his stuff. I saw Thanks. that show in previews, and I saw it with one of my best friends, and we loved it. Yeah. And that was where afterwards he was like, oh, my God, did you like Megan Hilty? do you like this? I was like, did you see that bald dancer? Like, that's all I could talk about. He was like, really? I was like, he was amazing. Like that, I watched you that the whole show, and Thanks, I, I had no idea that that show was not going to be a success. Yeah, I think everyone has uh, bombs or flops that they're proud of. I mm-hmm. mean, How is it you invest so much time and energy into something that's like a baby, mm-hmm. and then the press or critics say it's not
1: good. How is dealing with being a bomb? Um, you just keep doing it. You know, uh, that show taught me something uh, about reviews and critics and, and the theater community. Um, you know, while we were previewing, the the show was this sort of like silly little romp that uh, that had you know lowbrow humor and it just wanted you to come in and, and laugh at silly stuff for a couple of hours and maybe forget that your life is as hard as it is for for a second. And while we were in previews, that happened. You know, audiences were res- were very responsive and they laughed and they. They they went with the lo- the lowness of it and and loved it and we had standing ovations and it was great and then the, we opened and the reviews came out and they told everybody that they weren't supposed to like us and that it was stupid and that first show that first show after those reviews came out was vastly different now these people had been told that that this wasn't a good show and they they went with it um, so. So that's tough, uh, to to go from from knowing that you're entertaining these people, to 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 not being able to entertain them because of something they've heard. That was kind of, that was rough. But the way you deal with it is you just continue to do your work. Right. Um, when I was at Michigan, there was a a, a fellow student of mine who, who was talking about I can't remember where he had learned it. His name is Barrett Foa. He's on he's on NCIS Los Angeles mm-hmm. now. But uh, he was talking about this this little mantra that he sometimes um, chanted to himself in his head and that's trust your work and that you can apply that to a lot of different things uh, by the time we get up on a stage in front of an audience we've had a ton of rehearsal, we've had all this time to do work, to, to get our piece up and when an audience gets there that's a new energy and a new element that can change things for you or when a review comes out and it's bad and the audience suddenly changes on you that's something that can change how you how you work, but if you just keep remembering, trust your work, trust what you've done before, then it's a little bit easier to stay connected to what's happening in that moment on stage. So that's something I do. I I chant it all the time to myself.
0: No, I think that's a great thing. Yeah, <coughs> trust your work. Yeah. No, that's good. Thanks, Barrett. Um, and so then your next uh your next job was Billy Elliot, where I officially got to meet you. Um, and I was like, oh my god, I know that. Because <laughs> it's rare, like I mean, when your own colleagues they, that you actually, yeah, um, and I love working with you. You're great, like the, in the dressing room, and um, and it was a fun experience. But then you were going through something that you, photography had entered your life uh-huh. then, and not knowing that you were about to do eight more Broadway shows. <laughs> at that time, you were like, you know what? I think I'm ready to concentrate
1: on photography full time. I had started thinking about it. Um, there was another cast member in Billy, whose name is Laura Marie Duncan, who I'd worked with a couple times. I did South Pacific with her, and I did Scoundrels on the Road with her, mm-hmm. or I did it in New York as well. But um, she's a full-time photographer now, and uh, she's sort of how I got involved in photography. When I was on the road with her, I started thinking I wanted I wanted to take better pictures, and so I spoke with her, and she helped me figure out what camera to get and do all this kind of stuff. And um, and so. I had started to bud, you know. By the time we were doing Billy, I had started to sort of make a uh, bud as a photographer. Mm -hmm. I started to like my own work, which is not always the case, you know. I'd started to think, okay, I think I'm kind of good at this, and um, and I started thinking. I was like, I wonder if I if I could, you know, make a business. And you know, now that now. Now that I'm still, I'm still acting out, obviously. But Kristen and I, my wife and I, we also have a photography business. Yeah. And uh, and it's a small business, and but it's it's big enough that that it gives me a nice creative, artistic outlo- outlet that's outside of acting. But it's not it's small enough that it doesn't conflict so much. So far, I've been able to balance the two, and I really like that. I'm not ready to give up
0: oh, performing no. or anything.
1: So it's nice that. That I've been able, to, I I have these two things that are able to balance out more or less. There are some things like I, I had to turn down a job because I was shooting a wedding, and like all this, there are things like that that happen. But m- for the most part, I've been able to balance it, and it helps that my wife is my partner because if one of us is not available, right. then the other one is. You know. Yeah, and just for the listener, they both did my headshots, and they're <laughs> <great>. <laughs> and they're great.
0: Um, Smith Davis Photography. Yes. Com. and. I think one of my problems I find in like my own like life when it comes to my head is that I don't have another passion. It's just mm-hmm. like theater, theater, theater. And do you think it's like made your performing and your life and your artistic life fuller and richer than the fact that like you have a, like some people should just have a hobby you actually have two two careers do you mm-hmm. think that makes you feel i mean
1: yeah, I think it does uh i'm I think i'm I work better when I'm busy mm-hmm. so uh if I can stay busy i think my work is better. Also just practically, photography is a visual art and so it has sort of made, it's made me a little bit more visual as an actor as well I think. I, I, I'm still very internal, I've always worked inside out and, and been very internal as an actor but, um, but my photography has sort of helped me come out of my shell a little bit and be a little more external, a little more visual.
0: Like that, and did you meet your wife in South Pacific?
1: Yeah, on tour. Oh, Uh, after Nine to Five closed, uh, I got the opportunity to go on tour with South Pacific, and she was out on that, and that's how I met her. Oh, yeah, and she's lovely. She is lovely. And I mean, so speaking of your wife, and you're
0: married, Mm -hmm. as a straight man in musical theater, um, you have to be surrounded by a lot of gay men, and it's, and it's. I know that's an odd question, but Mm -hmm. um, you are a minority in musical theater. And how is that being a, a minority, or it doesn't probably doesn't bother you whatsoever? <laughs> I don't know. I,
1: I don't know if I'm super conscious of it. Um, I don't know any other situation. Right. You know, I I've never worked in any other industry where there aren't as many gay men. Right. But um, I like gay men. Yeah. I think you guys are fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah. I I don't really know. It's and I also am really interested in in cultures and social behaviors that are that I'm not familiar with right you know I like I like to learn about the way different people behave with each other and the different cultures that they come from or that they identify with and uh, and it's kinda of fun to be a part of uh, like a dr- in a dressing room where you have a bunch of different people it's it's nice to have a couple different perspectives on things
0: no absolutely I remember the Billy Elliot dressing room I We'd laugh They're like, there's so many straight people in here. What yeah. is wrong with this dressing yeah. room? Um, so from Billy Elliot, we worked back-to-back. Back. We went um, from Billy Elliot to People in the Picture. People in the Picture. And I was really happy in Billy Elliot, and you, uh, you were ready to move on. Yeah. And then we got to Billy Elliot, and I mean, we got to People in the Picture, where I was to swing over there. Yeah. It was my first time ever swinging, and I was kind of miserable. Yeah. But uh, And I only had four four people to cover. Yeah. Um, but that was, a. I mean, my favorite part of that honestly was getting to watch you dance every night. The opening number of Act Two, um, you yeah, that's had. That's one of my favorite things I've ever done. Andy choreographed yeah. this thumb, something. Um, we were here for you. Uh, this
1: ballet we, in the ghetto in Poland during the war. Yeah.
0: It was, I mean, it was stunning. There was some stunning stuff in that show. But that was another show that was a flop. I mean, we got a lot of free tickets and no one wanted to come see it. Right. Um, so, but in that show, you guys choreographed this whole number I watched, uh, like. Uh, the Hollywood number, mm-hmm. and then it was gone. How often in experiences do you put all that work in, putting a new show together, and then just stuff just acts?
1: It happens. It's common. Um, it's certainly not uncommon. It happens all the time. When when you're putting a new show together, you're trying to see what works. And sometimes you throw something against the wall and it doesn't stick. Uh, but you can't not try. You can't not throw it as hard as you can. You know, you have to throw it as hard as you can. Right. Do all the work make it the best number it can be. And then maybe it's a good number, maybe it's a great number, but it takes the story in the wrong direction. So you got to get rid of it, um, and that happens. That's what that's what a, a new show is about. And did you like that How was
0: people in the picture? It was fun to see Andy. It was the first time I saw Andy really ready to be a director. Yeah, um, he had a, a great vision that unfortunately. Um, he stopped at the choreographer line. Right. Um, so I'm interested to see like bandstand and stuff because you guys have a great.
1: Yeah, I did a workshop of bandstand actually last year. Oh, you did. Yeah, it's good. Oh, it's that's so. It's so good. super good. Oh, it's so good. Just wait until you see it. It's so good.
0: Oh, that's so great. Because then you worked uh, with uh, we uh, we we have one other show before, but then we get to Andy, which you get back to um to yeah. Andy Blankenbuehler. Yeah. But then uh, you went into Ghost. Yeah. Um, and I think that. This is what uh, I like. Another thing I liked about you, we touched on it before, is that your look also not only just being masculine, you also have a, a character man yeah. look, and um, you're not your typical chorus boy, mm-hmm. and but yet you get to certain shows that you you are in the ensemble, you are in the chorus, you have mm-hmm. feature things like that. I mean, how important it was for you to embrace your
1: embrace your look as well as everything else. It's the reason that I've had the career I have. Ghost in particular—that's a great example. I got that job because I look like and am a character actor that can move a lo- that can move well. Um, they needed somebody to to play a couple of little small parts here and there, two, a couple small character parts. But they also needed some him to be able to step into any of the dance numbers that they needed, and and it was me. That's why I got the job because I look the way I do and because I'm the kind of actor I am and because I can dance like I do. Um, so. It, it actually didn't take me a long time to sort of embrace that because I started to see that's what I was getting hired for. Um, I mean, when I started losing my hair, I had a very hard time with it. I really wanted to keep my hair, but and I still wish I had it, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I really wish I had it. But But the truth is that it's part of the reason I work the way I do. Um, and if I did have a full head of hair, I'm not exactly sure how I would approach the rest of my career Right You know? So, uh, yeah,
0: yeah I, No, I love uh, love being a character actor Yeah um, What it keeps to, uh, also appearance-wise, you also uh, said, how do you keep it in shape? Because for a while you said you were doing P 90 x because yeah. you reinvented your
1: body But yeah. now you're at a certain age where you're still dancing But yeah. what do you do to maintain Light your yoga? You do yoga. Yeah, I started doing yoga about four or five years ago. Kristen and I started together. We were we were at Lululemon, but we weren't getting yoga stuff. We were buying dance clothes because <laughs> you know you buy dance clothes at Lululemon, and uh, but they and they had a flyer for a free two weeks or something, at Yoga Works, so studio right around the corner from from there at Lincoln Center, and um, and we thought why don't we try this because I'd done some yoga, and we did it. We went to. I want to say 12 yoga classes in 14 days. And then uh, we went on vacation to Paris. We came back engaged Mm -hmm. and we were sitting there one night at home and, and she said, you know what? I miss yoga. And I said, I do too. Let's go. And now it's, I can't imagine my life without it. It is a, it's a centering part of my, of myself. It uh, it keeps me in shape physically. It keeps me centered mentally. It keeps me happy emotionally, um, and uh, I just love it. That's Have how you I had to deal with injuries throughout your career? A little bit, not huge injuries, but um, you know, I've I've strained calf muscles. I've hurt my knees. I've thrown my back out. I've I've not done anything major, right? You know, but I've had those normal things that all dancers get that they just dance through, and and that's that.
0: And we've talked so much about your dancing, but you're also a phenomenal actor and a great singer. Thanks. Um, and in your next show, Annie, my favorite song in the show is Never Fully Dressed Without a Smile. Yeah,
1: I love that song, too.
0: And uh, so that was one of the ones where <laughs> I was like, I want to play Bird Healy. Who got it? <laughs> I was like, oh, good for Jeremy. <laughs> uh, no, but I was so great. But it's, uh, it's nice, though, that uh, as a... Person who's been known as a dancer finally gets recognized to be like, no, this guy can actually do a role, um, even if it's a small role, it's mm-hmm. a significant role. And so, how was that getting to do that number? And it's also you're funny, and it's a comedian role, and then you get to also dance and yeah. stuff in the first act. Yeah,
1: it was it was great. I loved doing Annie uh, because of being able to play Bert, but it but also like I played a bunch of different characters in that show, and I loved every. Bit of it. I loved. I played bundles, of laundry guy. I played Bert. I played Senator uh, or uh, Secretary Hull in the cabinet scene. Like I played a bunch of different characters, and that was that's so fun. It's so fun to just go in and out of things like that. Um, but playing Bert Healy specifically was was awesome. I mean, I got to sing a song. Yeah. I'm I'm on the cast recording that way, and I got to. It was this fun scene I got to do, and. Um, I really, really loved it. it. It was very fulfilling. Yeah.
0: And you also understudied Rooster. I did. And how was your understudy
1: experience? And did you go on? I went on. Yeah, I went on a lot. It was great. Um, first of all, Rooster is a plum roll. Mm-hmm. It is. It's it's small. You're in three scenes, but you have Easy Street in two of those scenes, which is such a such oh. an, a great number. And. You get to do these, like, fun character things. You come in as your... I get to play a criminal, and I, not just a criminal, but a con man. So, you know, I get to, I get to be one guy, and then he, he gets to be that guy pretending to be another guy, and um, it was it's a really, really fun role to do, and uh, it's got a lot of bang for the buck. I loved doing it. It was very, very fun to do it every time that I, I was able to go on. And that was at the Palace. It was at the Palace. So, I mean, I, can you feel Judy
0: Garland's ghost and stuff like that in yeah. that theater? Yeah. Oh, so magical. Yeah,
1: that that place is, is special for real. And you can't really, you don't really know why. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, oh, absolutely. So, the last ship I did not see, and uh, I had people that told me that I needed to see it because I would love it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you got to work with Sting. Yep. And was there a workshop or anything on that show?
1: There was a workshop that I was not a part of. Um or maybe a reading, maybe a few of them, uh, over the years. I got involved in the show because Stephen Hoggett had just been signed on to choreograph it. And I didn't know him, but I think he he wanted to do some pre-production. And so I think he probably just went to casting and said, Can you get me eight guys that are... That can move really well, but are actors and blah 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 blah. Because I showed up and it was me and seven other guys like me, mm-hmm. and um, and we basically worked for five days or so uh, working on Stephen's method, which is unique, and I can talk about that in a little bit. Um, and uh, and I remember the agreement that I got for that for that was, I mean, this not, it didn't read this way, but it was something like. Don't think that this means you'll be a part of the show in the future. This is just for dance workshop purposes, blah, 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 blah. And I was fine with that. But, you know, after spending an hour working with Steven, we took a break, and I called my agent. And I said, you know how it says that? We have to make that not true. We have to we have to get me in the show. So uh, so they they got me an audition for it, and I auditioned, and I got it. What was it about him that you knew you wanted to work with him? Stephen is not a dancer. He's uh, he comes from what they call in England the physical theater, um, so it's communication through movement is I guess the the easiest way to put it. But there's no there's no dance per se. There's no he's not worried about what the line looks like or how high you can jump or how many turns you can do. He's he cares about telling a story through movement. So the way we would work, and he's very collaborative, and um, all, all the way he creates work is he'll have these tasks that he sets you to do, and then you do them, and this guy over here is doing maybe the same task or a different task, and then he'll meld them together somehow, and, uh, and that's how it works. One of the exercises we did was, so we were all, uh, we, we're four guys, and we're all as far upstage as you can get. And the task is to get all the way downstage, but you can only move forward if someone lifts you forward. And I'm not talking like a big, Mm. you know, above the head lift. I mean, just maybe an inch or two above the ground, lifted forward, and we were encouraged to use teamwork. So one guy on either side, and they just like lift one, lift the middle guy up forward, and then he'd turn around and lift somebody back. And you do that for a while, and he plays music with it. and then. He starts playing the music from the show, and he says, now get something that's repeatable. And then he'll, uh, he'll put up a prop into it, like he'll give us a beer bottle and say, this is the last beer bottle, and it only has one sip of beer left, and you all want that. So you start to create that movement, where as you're moving forward and trying to get the beer, and, uh, and that, becomes, that becomes part of the story that you're telling. That's how he works. And it's really fulfilling and awesome.
0: Wow. Yeah. And when my mom met you last night, she's like, "I love his passion when he talks about his art." <laughs> no, so I'm loving it right now. I, I wish the viewers would be like, see, uh, see your face. So a couple months ago, I worked with Fred Applegate. Yeah. And, and he told me he was like, if I were to ever invest in shows, uh, he's like, I would have invested in Young Frankenstein and Last Ship.
1: Oh, don't trust his advice then.
0: I know. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> what uh, what what happened with Last Ship that like it had? I mean, b- besides Sting's name. Um, that it just... People had had so much excitement, and then it... I don't
1: know. Um, because no one I heard said it was bad. No, it was not a bad show. Uh, I don't know. We just couldn't... We couldn't get people to notice it, I guess. I I don't know. I don't know. Um, I feel like we all did our work as well as we could. Mm -hmm. And, um... For some reason, we just weren't able to get the word out. I think that's that's got to be it. Um, and it's a shame. It was a great show. It was fun to do, and I miss it. Yeah, yeah. I I, I wish that it had done better, and I I don't know what we could have done. Right. And w- did it change at all when Sting came into the show? Well, we had a huge yeah. We had audiences when he was there. We had Sting fans coming, but you know he can't stay with it forever. He had to go on tour. And right um we just we weren't going to be able to sustain it. Yeah. So they had to close us. But between Sting and Dolly Parton, you've worked with some major
0: yeah. uh I mean, yeah. songwriters. Yeah. I and mean, that's amazing. and they were there for the rehearsal
1: process yeah. and everything like that. Sting in particular, Dolly was there all the time. Um but she was there sort of uh she wasn't there she wasn't quite as involved as Sting was cuz what Sting had written was based on something very personal to him. It was when he went back home uh, years after his parents had died and got back to his hometown and started, I, th- I mean, he didn't say this to me, but I am pretty sure that he walked around this town, which is now a ghost town, and started to, it started to jog all of his memories from his childhood and everything that he went through in that town and leaving and coming back. And, uh, and he started writing about that, and that's where the show came from. So it was very personal to him, and he was there all the time. He was always backstage, even before he was in the show. Um, he's, he's, he loved it, and we all loved him too. He's he is an amazing artist. There's a reason that he has been an international superstar for as long as he has been. It's because he is the real deal. He is super good at what he does. That's amazing. Um, yeah, he's awesome. And did you guys do yoga? Someone said you guys had yoga class every day. Well, Stephen Steven did a, a warm-up every day, and sometimes there was yoga involved, and Sting would come and do that. Oh, okay. Um, but it wasn't... Like, word on
0: the street was like, they have to do an hour and a half yoga every day. No, so. <laughs> it was more like
1: an hour. Like, we'd get there at 10, and uh, and Stephen would run us through his through his warm-up, which sometimes contained some yoga in it. Oh, okay. It was, there was stretching, and there was circuit training. There was... All the different, all different kinds of things we would do to warm up.
0: Oh no, that's so great. Yeah. So that brings us almost to where we are now. But something I don't have written down is uh, you said you just did a Cohen's brother movie.
1: Yeah. Uh, Christopher Catelli choreographed this piece, and it's coming out in February. It's called *Hail Caesar*. It's by the Coen Brothers, and it's uh, it's set in nineteen fifties Hollywood, and um, it go through the course of the film, you go around to all the different uh, sound stages where they're filming different movies. And one of the movies they're filming is an old style movie musical. And uh, the, the um, uh, Josh Brolin, who plays the lead in the movie, comes in to the stage and, and he, uh, he comes upon us filming a big tap dance number, which Chris choreographed, Christopher Catelli. And so uh, he, he asked me to go do it and we went out to LA for a few weeks, rehearsed it, and then shot for I think four days? Yeah, four days. Um, and that was super cool. That was super cool.
0: Oh, I can't wait to see that. Yeah,
1: I'm in the trailer. Well, yeah, I, you can see my face if you pause it at the right moment, <laughs> but you can definitely see my rear end because uh, uh, Channing Tatum is the he plays like this movie musical star, this tap dancing superstar, and uh, and he and I were dance partners in it, and uh, and so there's a well, dance partners with Channing, with Tatum. Channing Tatum. That's right. Wow. So this, there's this moment where, where he has me lifted upside down and my butt is like right in front of his face and he turns around and it's a shot of his face and, and my your butt. butt. Yeah. That's that's yeah. that's frameable. Yeah. Yeah. Like look that's <laughs> awesome. Look bomb. Uh, well,
0: I mean, have you have you done the Tony Awards before? Yeah, I yeah, have yeah, yeah. yeah, I forgot to ask that question. So you've been on I mean the being on front of a camera is is old hat. Which Tony Awards
1: were you what shows did you get I to? I did do? Dirty Round Scoundrels and I did um South Pacific, and I did 9 to 5. I think that was the last time I did it. Oh, no. And how were those experiences for you? Great. Um, Scoundrels was awesome. That was the first time I'd ever been there. That was super fun, and, like, just the day is fun. Because you do it on a Sunday. So you do your matinee, and then you get you get in the costume, and you get on a bus, and it takes you over to Radio City, and, you know, you do your whole thing there. And it was it was just a big whirlwind. Um, but it's special every time too. I loved it, doing it for South Pacific, and um, and when we were there for nine to five, we did an opening number uh, that was uh, of all a bunch of different shows that had opened that year. Was the opening number mm. it was choreographed by Rob Ashford, and what he did was he sort of uh, he highlighted the the beauty of of all of the community coming together. So he had this show, this show do something and 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 then at the end we all came in together and uh, and sang Let the sun shine in um, from from Hera because that that was that year of the Hera. Oh nice. Yeah. Yeah. Another uh,
0: big Broadway thing is the gypsy robe. Yeah. Which you got for last year. For ship. last ship I
1: got it. How was it, that? It was super fun. You know, uh like the gypsy robe is like a fun little tradition that it's is is silly and dramatic and heartfelt and all the things that we really celebrate as actors. And um, it's fun. Like, there's this little ceremony on opening night where everybody comes down and they, they, uh, they congratulate everybody making their Broadway debut and then they, they award the robe to the person who's done the most chorus shows, uh, chorus contracts on Broadway. and uh, And then there's this fun little "Quote unquote ritual that you have to do, where you run counterclockwise or uh, in a circle three times, and everybody touches the robe, and then you have to like wear the robe to each dressing room and bless each dressing room. Um, which the practicality of that is that it just gives a it gives an experienced member of the show a chance to go around to everybody on opening night and say." congratulations and break a leg absolutely um which is really cool yeah
0: yeah and it's something that's like with like this podcast does is it um i'm trying to do yeah it's it celebrates you know in the gypsies. yeah they mean that we definitely do something that's amazing mm-hmm. um whether it's singing dancing or or acting like unify that yeah which brings us to where we are right now a show that is uh, definitely about an ensemble piece yeah um, we're actually in the dressing room at the Old Globe Theater, and it's, uh, we saw it in your arms. Mm-hmm. It's Christopher Catelli, yep. um, and I saw it last night, Yeah. and, um, and I was uh, informed, I was like, oh, it's 10, uh, ten pieces, um, and I was so excited because I was like, Jeremy's doing, he has a, a piece that's his, uh-huh. um, and then I watched it, and I was riveted from beginning to end, but you hardly danced.
1: Yeah, there's no dancing really in my piece.
0: And, uh, I mean, at the end of it, I was like, I want to see Jeremy dance. But then at the same time, I realized I wasn't distracted. I was there the whole time just from, like, it was like an acting scene with music. Yeah. So tell me about that because it must have been a process.
1: Well, first of all, In Your Arms is a dance play. Uh, It's ten different stories that are uh, written by ten different playwrights. um, Like... Alfred Urey and Nilo Cruz, Lynn Nottage, Carrie Fisher, Rajiv Joseph, Terrence McNally, Douglas Carter Bean, like we have ton, David Henry Wang. Did I forget? Who did I forget? I don't know. But like that type of caliber, like Tony Award winners, Pulitzer winners, um, awesome playwrights. Um, uh, Chris Durang. Um, so, and then they took those stories that were meant to be told through dance, and Stephen Flaherty wrote music for each story. And the stories range from present day to years ago, to and they go all over the world in all different cultures, and and uh, it's a very diverse group of stories. And they're all told through different styles of dance. We have one that takes place in Spain and Argentina, which is flamenco and tango. And um, we have one that t- takes place uh, in rural Senegal. So there's African dance, and we have one that's tap dance. We have ballet. We have You know we have everything Um, but but mine the one that I do is uh, is not there's it's really just very pedestrian Uh, we do like we get into dance position for a second and we do a little thing but it's part of the story it's that I, I it's that I meet this person and I want to dance with her so I just dance with her but but that's all that is what was the question
0: uh, what was your whole experience about? <laughs> no, because you're you're uh, you're so passionate about like the the whole show, but your whole piece, and not you said that you had some. You're intimidated by the fact that people are doing oh yeah huge dance numbers, well, and yours
1: is so simple. I would I would watch. We have some of the best dancers in in New York. Absolutely, in, in, the, world, I in feel the world, like. <laughs> in the world, in this show, and I we would go to rehearsal, and I would watch them do these amazing physical feats, turns and jumps. And, lifts and these amazing things they're so beautiful and and my piece is not that it's very calm and subdued and there's no dancing in it and I started to feel a little insecure and wonder if 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 it was going to be enough and um, it was tough and it was a, a huge trust your work moment for me. I had to really start to go back to to trusting work and to remember I'm telling this story in the way that it's meant to be told, and uh, and not push. It, uh, I think it it would be super easy to to push and get shmacky and try to try to communicate something emotional, yeah, um, but that's not what the piece is, and uh, I think it would ruin it. And so every night when I do it, I really have to to trust my work i have to go into into that and and be okay with the fact that it's simple and trust it's a huge exercise in trust trust that that the simplicity is what's beautiful about it so hopefully that works
0: no every moment was filled and it's uh it's really it's really breathtaking which is also a tribute to the fact that you are on top of being a brilliant dancer a brilliant actor Thanks. Because I, I was watching it and I was just like, "This is," I I I went with the journey.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks, Brad. But uh, the truth is, I I can't take most of that credit. I think, uh, you know, Rajiv Joseph wrote it, and he wrote this this amazingly unique story. But it's so unique, and yet it still speaks to something that's very visceral. I think in human nature, which is the longing for another person, and. Uh, and then Stephen Flaherty wrote this gloriously beautiful music to it. And Chris has, has been this brilliant guide through the whole thing. And on top of that, Claire Camp, who I play opposite from in the scene, is so present and with it in every single moment that I really don't have to do much. I just ride the machine that they've all built. And uh, I really have to give credit to all of them. You're such a good guy. You take the compliment and then give a
0: compliment. <laughs> no, that's great. I think that's why you know you bring a lot to the table, and you're—I mean—you have a good energy. Um, so thank you so much for this interview. If, is, it's been my pleasure. Was there are, was there a moment that you like um, wanted to share a, a
1: special story? Oh well, yeah, something funny happened to me today in the show. Oh, there's a moment where I, you might remember. I set up this picnic because I'm hoping to meet someone, and. Uh, I set up this picnic and I put out a big old like two pound bag of Reese's Pieces, and it's the very last thing I set up in the picnic. And I always give it like a nice little shake before I put it down. And today I gave it a shake and the bag <gasps> burst all over the stage. <laughs> all over, two pounds worth of Reese's Pieces just everywhere. And uh, and I sat there and I looked at it and I thought, okay, huh. So then I just went about my business, and I I ended up, like, I ended up sort of cutting a bunch of little business that I do. So I, because I had to go pick it all up, I had to get it all, yeah, cleaned up. They had to come and dance <laughs> in the next number, you know, like a whole a whole stage full of dancers was about to be dancing all over these Reese's pieces. So I had to clean them up. I, sh- I shoved some of them into the pit, but
0: oh, that's hysterical. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and you had like, I mean, Mary Poppins. Yes,
1: and Mary Poppins was in the audience, Eliza Doolittle, Julie Andrews came in today. She and Chris have worked together before, and they're going to do, I think, My Fair Lady in Australia pretty soon. So she came to see the show, and she came on afterwards to to meet us all and took pictures with us. Oh,
0: that is so fascinating.
1: She is amazing. Yeah. That was crazy. The
0: people that we get to meet within this world, especially when you're sharing the stage with people that... You mean at once you idolize like Don McKechnie yeah is in this show Donna
1: McKechnie and George Shakiris I mean these he uh Donna McKechnie won the Tony for playing Cassie and Chorus Line George won the Oscar for playing Bernardo in West Side Story the movie and these people are these like dance icons and every every single person in this show geeked out royally when, when we met them for the first time oh. and we're all so inspired by them and it, it's uh it's awesome to have them in this building with us and to be to be working with them. Yeah. Well, I geek out when I hang out with you. So. Stop it. <laughs> uh, so if
0: we could end this with one uh, with one song that uh, from your whole career, yeah. Uh, uh, what would it be?
1: Well, I'm tempted to say you're never fully dressed without a smile. Why not? It's you. But I have to say that if I'm being honest with myself, it has to be cheesy and go with my Broadway debut, and nothing is too wonderful to be true. From Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, which uh, which Sherry, Renee, Scott, and, uh, and more were Done. But sang. All right. Well, thank you very much.
2: Look at the way the moon behaves. Look at the way she paints a silver ribbon on the waves. One thing I've learned and I'll share with you. too wonderful to be true each moment opens like a flower the age of miracles comes every hour I'm perceived to be naive, to be the way I am. Let people say I am a silly goof. <laughs> Is life a playful? am I grateful? Every day I am. It's an amazing world in which we live, and I've got. Guy at camp who ate his t shirt on a dare. My hotel gives away free shampoo. Nothing is too wonderful to be true. Go on. Sometimes God grants your heart's desire. Once I was caller number eight, I won a set of tires. They held up that midget with crazy glue. Nothing is too wonderful to be true.